Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Phil Berthold Jr., who had a near-death experience while he was in his workshop. And today we're going to learn about it. Phil, thank you for being my guest today, and welcome. Well, thanks. Thanks for the invite. All right. Uh, if you don't mind, let's start on the day that it happened and go from there. My event happened on 6609, and I'd had some liver problems, and I have what they call I was had what they call an encephalopathy, which is where you basically switch your days and your nights. You sleep during the day and you work during the night. Um, I was working late in my shop um, next to my house, and I was staying up, you know, uh, quite late, three, four, five in the morning. You know, and then coming up, you know, before my wife would get up to go to work, you know, pretend like I'd been there, you know, all this time. But um, I started to, um, you know, I started to really bother her. So she, you know, finally put her foot down and said, okay, you know, no more late nights at the shop. Um, be home by midnight. You know, that's it. Be home by midnight. So one night I was down there in the shop and I was cleaning out, uh, cleaning up my shop rags. I had a little bucket system going, washing, rinsing, you know, and putting in a, you know, putting them in a bucket and I'd hang them all around my shop on cords so I could, you know, dry them. I'm cheap. And, uh, I was doing this for a while I had a you know fairly good sized pile of rags and I'd probably been over for maybe 40 minutes or something like that you know washing in one bucket going to the next and when I got all done I stood up to stretch my back and I looked on my watch to see what time it was you know to make sure I'd be home by midnight and my clock said 11:43. but then all of a sudden I started getting these light light tracers zipping through my eyes um they were just zipping you know um and then i started feeling you know tingly faint so i started making my way towards my office so i could sit down uh at my desk and i guess i glanced off the uh glanced off the door jam i careened off of a filing cabinet knocked over a whole bunch of paperwork that was on there knocked over my uh, office chair. Apparently, I drug some tools with me on my way down to the concrete. But apparently, what had happened is I'd blown the outside vein off my liver, and I was bleeding out internally. So I crashed face first right onto the concrete. I never felt a thing. I think I was pulled before uh, I actually hit the concrete. I'm not really sure. But I, I know I didn't feel a thing. Nothing was felt. The next thing I know, I think it felt like I was about 30 or 40 yards outside of my shop. 
in some kind of dirt void, a black dirt void, no light, no nothing. The dirt was warm. Um, it was full of love. Um, you know, not like your, uh, your normal kind of love. It had a, like an all knowing love in it. Uh, I laid there for, I laid there for a little bit and it was, it was strange. I couldn't tell how I was positioned. I couldn't tell whether I was, uh, sitting, sitting up or, or upside down or, or what, um, nothing was getting into my nose or my ears or anything. Um, my mouth and I couldn't quite figure out, you know, what the, what the, what the stuff that, you know, I was in was. I, uh, I get, oh boy, I'm losing it. Um, I got to a point to where I wanted to reach for my right arm. So I used my left arm to reach for my right arm. And that's where I felt, that's where, um, I never found it. It was just, there was nothing there to find. So that's when I pretty much figured out that I was dead. And this was some sort of a staging area or something. Um, there wasn't the fact of that, that was it or anything like that. I mean, yeah, I thought about all that, but it was gone. Um, now it was just me in this, this dirt, this, this loving stuff. So I'm thinking, you know, that, uh, you know, I'd been in this dirt for a while. I even tried counting for one, you know, for a while, 1001, 1002, 1003. I got up to 16 a couple of times. And when you run out of, you know, two, two or three hands, you don't have nothing to, you know, count fingers on. I just started losing track. I figured I'd been in there a while, but then the next thing I know, I'm back up in my shop, right through the wall, except this time I'm up by the ceiling. I could see 360 degrees. I could see everything. Um, everything in the shop was, you know, it was very, very vivid to me. I could see the, uh, the buckets. I, I was floating towards my office. I went around the, the door jam. I could see the filing cabinet that was tipped over. All the paperwork and stuff that was that was on top of it was laying on the floor. I could look down on the floor and I could see the different colors, uh, all vivid. Uh, I could see the names of the companies from the, the different colored invoices that they give you when you pick up your goods. Um, everything just seemed so, so bright. Um, very, just just so vivid um my eyes kind of moved around in the shop and i could see me laying laying on the floor and the tools that i had laying on the ground there next to me i had uh as i was looking at myself i started to be drawn into the back of my head it wasn't like being pulled or pushed it was just like like magnetics it was like being pulled it was very it wasn't really fast or anything it was just slowly being pulled and when i got to the back of my head all of a sudden i heard these words that said come off of the floor 
and these huge hands raised under, you know, really wide hands raised underneath me, underneath my torso and raised me to my knees. I mean, I could see, yeah. When I was on the, when I was, before I got sucked into the back of my head, I could look down on and see myself and I could see my glasses were broken, a pile of blood that was laying, you know, from the side of my mouth. A tooth was laying there too. Um, and then I got, then the voice said, you know, come off of the floor. And I was just, just as easy as you please, just, just right up to my, you know, right on my knees. I just raised right up. I stuck out my elbow so I could steady myself. I turned to my lap to see who picked me up. And there was no one there. No one. So that's when I realized that uh, I'd crap my pants also. I guess when you go, you go. So I then I began to think of how long I'd been out, you know, how long I'd been on the floor. So I looked at my watch, and it was uh, it was two oh seven. I'd been out of body for two hours and eighteen minutes. So I get I get myself cleaned up and put on some shop coveralls, and I went up to uh, I grabbed a walking stick or a piece of molding that I could use as a walking stick and I walked on up to walked on up to the house. Got myself cleaned up, took a shower, got cleaned up, put on some clean sweats. And my wife uses a CPAP machine and so we used separate bedroom lot. And she had no idea what was going on in the shop. She had no idea of anything that happened. So I get all cleaned up and I went and I laid down on my bed. And I think I got about a, two hours worth of sleep. Well, all of a sudden I wake up and I'm getting, all of a sudden my mouth started flooding with water, like right before you get ready to hurl chunks. And I jumped off the bed and I started heading towards the bathroom. And all of a sudden the light pressures came back. Zip, 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 zip. And I knew I was going to faint. So I sat down really quick in my recliner and I yelled at my wife. I said, Polly, Polly, get up. I said, I'm, uh, I'm going to get sick. I need a pot. Bring me something to get sick in. So she jumps out of bed, not knowing anything's going on. Can't figure out well, how come I can't stand up. And goes and gets goes and gets a pot, gives it to me, and I get sick. And it's all blood. So then it's panic time. So we jumped into the car. And uh, we headed off to Dupork, which is 12 miles away. I figured it'd be faster than calling an ambulance. We just jumped in and just hauled. So I get up to Newport and they threw me in the tube and gave me a CAT scan and they found out that it was the, the vein exploded on the outside of my liver. But they didn't have uh, a radiologist there that could do the job. They didn't have one in, in-house, so to speak. They would have to call one in. So they just loaded me up into an ambulance with uh, a sick pack of blood a pack of syrup and a pack of platelets and threw me in an ambulance and shot me off to a hospital that was 46 miles away in Corvallis. So I get over there and the the procedure to repair the stint is they go through your neck and, I mean not repair the stint, repair the, the vein. They go through your jugular vein they put the stint and everything, the camera, all the tools and all that stuff goes down. And you're laying on an operating table, um, our, our x-ray table, and they're looking up at the screen 
watching how this all going down with the trace knife. Well, the doctor that was there at Corvallis, he was young and he really wasn't, um, he, he was young, but I was a really hell of a case. I was, I was pretty bad to on. He tried three different times to get that stint to take and he couldn't do it. So the head doctor, she came out and was talking to my mom and uh, my wife, Polly, and said that uh, about all they could do for me right then was to just make me comfortable. That's it. Just make me comfortable. So I'm, while I'm hearing all this, she asked my wife how long I'd been drinking. And Polly said that uh, I hadn't had to drink in eight years. She says, oh, she says, well, what about smoking? And he said, well, he only smokes like two cigarettes a day, if that. She goes, oh, my. And she went and ran back into her office. Now, at this point, all of a sudden, I'm covered in some kind of a a blue tube, head to toe. It was about an inch and a half thick at its thickest point and about a half inch thick at its thinnest point. It was mottled on the outside. It wasn't smooth. Um, there were, when the tube came over me, the, actually the doctor, when she, when the tube first formed over me, the doctor went in and called the uh, radiologist at, I mean the gastroenterologist at, uh, at OHSU and he said, put him in the tube, see if he had any, have it has any tumors on his liver. And if he doesn't, then put him on my remove. So it looked like I was going to get medevac at the, at the time. But when this tube formed over me, there were four souls inside. They were about the size of your fist. They all spoke to me at once. They all spoke to me telepathically. I could understand everything that everybody on the outside of the tube was saying. I could understand the doctors, um, the idle conversation between everybody that was going on. But the souls that were inside, they told me, they said, you can't go. You have to stay. You are protected and you are loved. And when they said the word love, this ring came out like a clear ring. Just it started growing. It looks like the ring of an atomic bomb blowing off on the desert. That, that round ring on the bottom that comes up really fast. That comes up really fast. Not, not the mushroom or the cloud or anything, but the ring. And it was coming at me in slow motion. And when it hit my, when it hit my face and my torso, that was the heaviest love I've ever felt in my life. I'd never felt anything like that before. Um, it's not like, it's not like, 
it's not like you love your wife or you love your dog. I mean, this is this is like a, uh, an even more than an all-knowing love. This is um, this was just amazing. Um, now I have to. I think I better have to tell you about my aunt. Um, my aunt. Hang on. <sighs> My aunt was a clairvoyant psychic, and uh, I guess she was pretty much that all her life. And she, <clears throat> she, um, I found out about her skills when I was about five or six years old. She was in the front seat of the car. I was sitting behind mom in the back seat. And Yvonne would stop, it was stomping her feet on the floor of the car and putting her hands over her ears saying, you know, shut up, shut up, shut up. And what I didn't know was that what she was hearing was souls that were talking to her. She always had like 10 people talking to her all the time. I mean, all the time. And mom, mom knew that it was you know, getting to her and bugging her, but, um, you know, I was, I was still, it didn't make much difference to me back then when I was that small. So as time goes by, um, when Yvonne was over in, in Hawaii, she worked for Hawaii, or she worked for Five O. She, they used her as a psychic. Souls would come to her, explain where they were, where they were buried, where they were stashed, or where they were, you know. They were, she was, she was a connection to this side of the world for their side of the world. And she would go tell the, you know, she'd go tell 5 where these, you know, describe these places, describe these things, or, you know, uh, rivers, or this or that, or, you know, waterfalls or something. And they'd go find the people and stuff like that. She was really pretty good. She worked on a cruise ship over there that went from island to island. And they had a room that would hold 60 people. And Yvonne would go in there and fill it every day. Um, People would go to just go see her. Um, She'd walk in and all the souls would be yelling at her and stuff. And she'd just start saying, okay, who's so-and-so and and who's so-and-so and bingo she you know read as many people as she could and everybody just be crying her eyes out you know and you know she was she was quite good she worked uh she did the same type of stuff for um the vegas police department when she was living in vegas when she was in vegas she came up to oregon to see mom and me and she knew that mom had cancer but the way Yvonne was, she never discussed anything that went on with the family, with the family. What she saw and what she interpreted and stuff like this stayed with her. She didn't want to change. Uh, it was like, I don't know, changing. She just didn't want to change things. She knew that I, uh, she knew that I smoked pot. I'm a pothead. And she knew that uh, I would eventually cure 
mom's cancer with it. So after she stayed for a while, Yvonne leaves, goes back to uh, Las Vegas. About a year and a half later, she dies. But unbeknownst to me, I didn't know that Yvonne gave up a physical incarnation to become my guardian angel. So that's how I pretty much get uh, get Yvonne with me all the time now. So back at the hospital, I'm in the blue tube, and they explain everything to me, and I see the shock ring. <clears throat> it looks like I was going to be medevac to um, OHSU. So I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready to go to uh, OHSU. They have. Um, you have to get wheeled around to the outside to the hospital on a path to get up to the top of the roof. And we're going up there and I'm just kind of looking around at things. We get up to the top. The helicopter was there already. And they load me into the helicopter and the EMT that was in there was securing my, my, uh, my little uh, gurney thing into the floor of the helicopter. And when they position you in the helicopter, they position you kind of cockeyed a little bit. You're, you're not quite straight in line. You're, you're off tilted a little bit. So I get, uh, their situation, they're situating me in there and the EMT is, he puts his hand, you know, sticks his whole arm and everything through the blue tube. And he's tightening down a strap or something like that. And I think it's funny and I'm laughing and I could see the pilot in the front seat and he had his helmet on and he had his night vision goggles that were strapped on and they were powered up and they were on. So when I'm laughing at the EMT, the pilot says, okay, let's hurry up. He says, kill the light. You know, shut the door. Let's kill the light. So the EMT gets me hooked up, shuts the door, kills the light. And the pilot swung right around and he looked up at the light and then he looked right straight down at me for about four seconds. And to this day, I, well, not to this day, but uh, for like nine years or so, I, I looked for that pilot at Life Flight every Saturday because they have barbecues and I tried to find the one that had logs that picked me up because it was awfully bright in that tube and he had his night vision goggles on and I just wondered how bright it was in that helicopter when he turned around because he had no reason to look at me other than the fact it was brighter than hell in that tube for me with the souls that were in there it was bright so anyway we take off we get up to OHSU we land knee empty opens the door and the tube flows off floats off of me, out the door, and away it goes. And as they're situating me to get near the door, I look and I can see at their elevator on the roof that there were two orderlies running with a gurney towards me. And so I thought, wow, I'll be darned. They protected me, just like they said they were going to. And that's where I lose consciousness. The next day I woke up 
found out I'd been repaired uh, by a very good radiologist. He went down uh, the same jugular vein, went down in, saw how bad the outside vein was, pulled the camera back out, moved it back on into the inside vein to see how bad it was. And he saw how how varicose that vein was. So he just ripped that one off and put a stint in that one and then went around to the outside one and put a stint in that one and closed me up. He said that if he hadn't uh, ripped off the inside one, he said, I'd be back. So uh, he said, hey, I did you a favor. And then I was in the hospital for four days. And it was it was weird because um, I was still processing everything that was going on. Um, I had relatives that were showing up, um, in-laws that were showing up. Um, my mom was there, Polly was there. Um, it was just really hard to discuss. They let me out, um, after four days, they let me out on the 10th, which was Polly's birthday. So that, they let me out on her birthday. So now on her birthday, this is what she thinks about all the time. So it was a pretty quiet ride home. Um, I didn't talk about it much. Um, things, I was just trying to sort everything through my mind. I got home and I couldn't do much except for like read. Um, I really wasn't supposed to uh, exert myself or do anything like that. Um, I couldn't grunt. Um, couldn't lift heavy objects, you know, uh, things like that. I was I was down for a while, but uh, after after a bit, about a year and a half after my event, mom gets diagnosed with cancer, and then. We went to uh, we went to an oncologist and got it confirmed. But mom didn't want to do uh, chemotherapy because she knew it was poison. And my uncle had had prostate cancer, so he said try the radiation because it's not like the way it was. It doesn't burn you up anymore. It's it's so much gentler. So she went and and did that. And while I was down there with her. Um, we looked at the CAT scan, you know, and everything else, and you could see the tumor. Um, my mom had had, my mom had had, uh, a hysterectomy 30 years prior. And the doctor didn't know if they were supposed to, back then during the surgeries, they didn't know if they were supposed to leave the cervix in or leave, you know, or take the cervix out. Well, with mom, they left hers in and they also missed a piece. So 30 years later, it grows inside a lemon sized tumor. So. We get, uh, I'm looking at, I'm, we're looking at the CAT scan and everybody could see the tumor. But what I saw was all of her lymph nodes through her chest and neck and everything else and through her breasts were all lit up sugar white. It had already metastasized. 
and I was going to lose her in a year easily. So I asked the doctor, I said, could I put her on RSO, Rick Simpson oil? And he said, sure, no problem. So he signed the paperwork for the state and I, uh, we sent it in, paid the fee. And four and a half, four and a half months later, I had uh, mom cured. So my wife had retired after that. And the gal that took her place at her work had uh, lymphoma. And I was able to not actually see anything on her yet, but I could I could tell the puffiness in her skin and stuff. Um, and I could I could feel it. It, it felt like it, it feels like air and deer fat if you've ever been a hunter or, or whatever or cattle fat. It feels like the air that's in the the lard and stuff. That's what it feels like in here. So uh, I got her fixed up. Um, she was a relatively quick one. And one day my wife and I were at a bar that we frequented and one of the food servers there says, um, Hey, Phil, he says, how's your mom? And I said, Oh, fine. I says, I cured her. He says, Oh, really? And I says, yeah, she's all done. And this other food server goes, really? I have ovarian cancer. So on we go. So we sat down and we chatted and stuff, and I told her what I could do for her. And, um, with, with just her tip money, uh, she was six weeks, I think six and a half weeks, and I had her cure. And plus, uh, she had ovarian, uh, she had ovarian cancer, and. It, killed the cancer and plus she got pregnant and she had the kid so now I'm the godfather so that goes that goes on um so after I cured mom and a couple of people um mom thought it was strange that I'd you know could just pop in you know pop into people and you know and and plus also thought it was strange that I could just you know cure them that easy yeah, including herself. So, um, I was getting ready to go to the store for her and me, and uh, I stopped by before, and I head on up, and I'm in, I'm, I'm in Fred Myers, and I'm looking at this lady, and this lady is walking towards me, and she's got this hard plastic mask on. It comes down both sides under the chin, across the mouth, no mouth hole or no slit or no mouth hole. And it doesn't go behind the ears either. It just, it just hangs. It, it, it just stuck there. And I'm looking at it and I'm going, now what is this? So I figured it must've been like, um, she had her jaw wired, uh, cosmetic surgery, uh, a chin lift or an implant or something like this. It was just, it was just strange. Um, so as time goes by, I make you know another trip to the store. Except I see like four people with these masks on, and I'm thinking now this is strange. This is not usual. 
And this is before COVID. Um, and these are hard plastic masks. Um, I wasn't quite sure what the hell was going on. After a bit in time, I started seeing more and more, more and more of the more and more of the people with the masks on. At one trip to the store, it would be I could see thirty people, all women, no men, just all women. Um, it got weird one day. I was walking pushing my cart along and a woman went by me. She had a mask on. She was in her late eighties and she goes by me and I just felt like I've been hit with a brick. And so I just stopped, left my cart and I chased her down. And I said, excuse me. I said, I got this weird premonition. I said, there's something medically wrong with you. I said, are you all right? And she said, she was just diagnosed with breast cancer the day before. And I didn't know what to say. So I went on shopping and then I'm loading after I get, you know, checked out, I'm outside and I'm loading my groceries into the, into my rig. And I looked over next to a van and there was a lady that was standing outside of a van and she had a mask on too. And she was smoking a cigarette. So after I get my groceries put away, I put stash the cart and I walked on over to her and I said, I said, I have a feeling there's something medically wrong with you. I said, are you okay? And she said that she'd just been diagnosed with lung cancer and they were going to remove part of one lung uh, next week. So I I turned around and I just left. It was becoming obvious that all these people I was seeing with masks all had some form of cancer. And now I see them all the time um covid has been nice um it hasn't been uh, i don't get to see so many uh it covers up a good portion of the face some i've some i've been able to see um i've seen a couple of men but i've that they've been really um prominent cancers you could see the mark on their face the one spot the guy where he had it on his head. Um, I was actually able to see it. And with one gentleman, I was able to, uh, I could smell it on his hands. It smells like ammonia to me. Um, the women that have it, the men that have it, you know, it, um, ammonia, ammonia seems to come out. I don't know why, but I can smell it too. So now that I see all these people, I just tried to cure as many as I can. Um, I do cures with um, all the hidden cures the big pharma is hidden and all the all the hidden cures that the government is you know uh, hidden also um, everything I learned pretty much through uh, Rick, Rick Simpson's uh, websites he tells you how to do it um, you know, he tells you how to make the RSO and everything else uh, cancertutor.com um, if you want to do the MSM uh, system with um, rosehip vitamin C you can do that um, I'm up to 16 patients right now 14 cures and looking to talk on another one probably today um, see if I can't work on her COPD for 
So um, it's an on, it's an ongoing it's an ongoing thing. And finding out about Yvonne, I uh, I use three di- three different psychics, basically all for different reasons. Um, my best one, when I walked in through the door, she just looked at me and says, oh, I see you brought your guardian angel with you, and proceeded to call Yvonne by her nickname. So that uh, was pretty overwhelming. Uh, cried a lot during that session, but we got a lot of answers, uh, a lot of questions answered. Um, the second the second psychic I saw, I still didn't know for sure if uh, I hadn't seen I hadn't seen the one that uh, greeted Yvonne right when I walked in the door. Yeah, I saw uh, this first psychic I saw. She I explained, you know, what I was looking for, and I asked her. I said, "So, do you know who my guardian angel is?" She goes, "Yeah." And I said, well, what's the name? And she goes, I don't know. And I thought, well, that's great. You know, so I might as well just get up and leave. And she goes, well, who's the redhead? And that would have been Yvonne. And so then she proceeded to tell me that I'd had uh, that this NDE that I just last, uh, the one I had in 09. That wasn't my first one. I'd had uh, three other prior. Uh, one in the uh, one, two, and seven, two in the seventies. No, all three of them were in the seventies. One by heroin, and then two others by uh, really good cocaine. But this is the only one that I remember. So that was that was eye opening. But uh, another psychic I ran into, she had hairy cell leukemia. And I was, I went to a rock shop, a gem shop, and I was looking for a particular rock, and I could I could see the mask on her, and I asked her, and she said, "Yeah, I do I have cancer," and I said, "Okay." Um, I came around the counter and just sat down next to uh, next to her in his chair, and she felt really comfortable, and I guess I felt really comfortable to her. And so we just we just traded all the information and stuff like that, and I started making up batches of uh, RSO for her. But when she would do readings, um, she needed to have a clear head, so the RSO wasn't working for her. So I changed the RSO and I changed it into CBD RSO, which doesn't have the THC in it, and it just has the beta karyophylline and the beta mercine in it, which are cancer killers, and that's uh, that made it a lot easier for her, and she was able to do reading. So, instead of having her pay me for the uh, RSO, or repay for the pot that I used to make the RSO, I asked her if she would do some readings for me, and she said, yeah. So, I had a list of questions that, uh, that I had uh, made up and so since she was picking up um, she was picking up Yvonne really well from uh, from a photograph that I brought in 
And so this is what I asked. This is what I asked Yvonne. I said, "How come I was in the dirt for so long?" She said, "That's how long it took her to convince the powers that be that I would change for the better and be a better person." I said, "Who picked me up off of the floor?" She said, "Saint Germain." She called on him to restart my life process because we were friends in the 1700s. I would attend all his lectures. We would hang out. We were buds. Hmm. I asked where the tube came from. She said when she heard the head doctor say there was nothing that she could do except make me comfortable, she called St. Michael to turn his sword into the blue tube of protection and place it over me. I asked who was in the blue tube with me. She said it was her. My dad's mother's husband, who was a spirit guide, St. Germain, and St. Michael. The psychic asked if I was pissed at God. I said, no, why? She said I'd been groomed to be an apostle, but I left heaven early. So I looked up apostle, and there's two types. One is uh, One does all good godly things, and the other one is create grief and hardship. I guess I was being groomed to be the latter of the two, and I threw a fit. I guess I jumped out of my uh, group circle into another group circle and into the first body I could find, this one. I've treated, uh, I guess I've treated men, but only by running into women or family members are actually being able to see the cancer. I don't know why this is this is all being done. This all stems, I think, from hearing mom to begin with and, and Yvonne. Uh, so I've discovered that some of my previous lives other than other uh, some of my previous lives by other people that are more gifted you know, than me. I've been told that I've been an Asian boy blown up by a mine an Asian woman with three children, a powdered wig judge, a Confederate officer with a saber, the 1700 acquaintance with St. Germain. I was an Indian shaman that was buried up to his neck. And when the medium told me that, I immediately felt sun on my face and I felt that I was facing south. Um, none of the other, none of the other ones hit me as hard as that one when she said that. And also, there was a reference to the time period of uh, 647 AD or 674 AD. Can't remember which, but it was back in the time uh, in Mer- of Merlin. Saint Germain was incarnated as Merlin. And when St. Germain ended his incarnation, I didn't take his place. I just took the alchemist's place. I didn't become Merlin. I just became the alchemist that St. Germain left. I know that uh, my aunt's helping me to, you know, to see all of the... I know she helps me to see a lot of this, um... I know that I lived till all of my psychics have said that I lived till my 90s. My best ones said I lived till I'm 91. I'm 68 years old now. 
So I have a lot of time to try and help people and a lot of time to tell people that there is life after death. Um, I don't know how else to explain it, but it's the most fantastic thing you will, you could ever experience. You will not believe how light you are. You, you don't weigh a thing. Speed, uh, you move at the speed of thought. Um, you're at the free will. I had, I have a channeler who channels St. Germain in uh, the UK. And I asked her one time, I said, hey, since you're friends with St. Germain, I said, do you think you could ask him, you know, uh, I'd like to meet him. Um, and possibly, you know, maybe you could, you know, let me talk to talk to Yvonne too. And uh, I said, so maybe next time you're chatting with St. Germain, maybe you can give me a good word. And when you're on Messenger and you're talking to talking to someone on Messenger, and on the screen, you see the column come down, and you see the little face come down when someone is reading it. As soon as I said, if you can help me, I'd appreciate it. All of a sudden, a page and a half, whole page and a half, goes zip, just like that, with the face coming down and ends like that. You can't talk that fast. You can't think that fast. You can't... Um, you definitely can't type that fast. I started reading this and I was getting my butt chewed. You don't have a clue what you have in front of you. You don't have a clue. Um, you know, you're a babe in the woods. You've just been shown a small glimpse of light. You know, how do you think you can, um, how do you think you can, you know, that we owe you this or that? You know, you have nothing. You know? And so I said to her, well, you know, Sorry for asking, you know, I just thought I'd ask. And then all of a sudden, zip, another page and a half shows up with the face coming right down to it again. And it was her and she says, Bill, that wasn't me. That was St. Germain. I got my butt chewed by a saint. And he, basically she said, you're not ready yet. So at another time I asked her, I said, I... I was listening to a different channel and St. Germain was saying that, um, or she was saying that St. Germain was saying that full consciousness will come by the year 2025. And she said, no, it'll be before then. Um, if not 2022, it'll be 2023. But we're going to make the big jump from 3D to 5D. And I don't think anybody is ready for all the love that's going to get unleashed and that's going to be hitting this world. That's, uh, I can't wait. I'm happy. I am very happy. Phil, thank you for sharing your experiences with us. Do you feel that after your NDE, you became a medical intuitive or a medical miracle worker or something? I've always liked science. I've always liked 
my mom was a nurse. I used to go, uh, she went to San Mateo County, uh, there in, uh, California. And dad, dad and her were separated. So rather than get a babysitter, she would take me to classes. And if the classes were boring, I'd go to sleep in the back of the class on her, on her, uh, raincoat or, or a coat or something. And if it was doing labs and things like that, oh, I was right up there at the tables and stuff with her. You know, I mean, science has always um, interested in me. Um, I experimented sometimes, you know, with, you know, a lot of different, you know, things. I've done DMT. Um, you know, I've smoked that stuff and it doesn't even come. It, there's no candle to an NDE when people say, Oh yeah, it's DMT from your brain, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gets released, you know, because you died. No, I don't think so. You know, um, you know, you smoke DMT, yes, but you haven't died. You know, I'm telling you, once you die, you know the difference. You know, it's a big difference. How do you think you've changed after this experience? A hundred and eighty degree turn. Exactly, a hundred and eighty degree turn. Um, I was more selfish, um, more uh, just, yeah, I was so, so me, um, not so caring so much, um, uh, like it been a prick real, real easy. Um, now it's, now it's just all love, um, uh, all prejudices and stuff like that are gone. Um, the love I feel for people is is amazing. Um, you have to love everybody. You don't have to love their behavior, but you have to love everybody. Otherwise, you keep coming back. You know, so get this into your head. You know, love everybody. You don't have to love their behavior. Um, if you don't like people just do like Dolores Cannon says you know write it down on a piece of paper and just tear it in half show them that you're tearing up the contract of your life with them and then move about on your own life and quit worrying about the ones that bothered you before sounds like you've had an amazing experience and what I think is interesting is that you are the first person that went from the black void back into a room where you saw your body. Coming back into the, from the void was something. Um, being, you know, I got eight foot ceilings in, in the shop and being right up there. I mean, and looking down, that was, that was amazing. Um, you, you look, you feel like you have, your eyes and your nose and your face and all that stuff and everything else, but you're just a spark. Yeah. It's, it's strange to get into your head that, you know, and when I came around the corner and and saw the, I guess, quote shell laying on the, on the ground. Um, that was, that was amazing. The, the, the blood that was on the floor was all dried. Um, when the hands lifted me up, my face was stuck to it and it pulled it pulled my face you know and it's like getting ripped off you know and i'm going wow you know what is this and then you know by that time i was looking to my left to see who you know who would pick me up when you were on the other side 
Was it more real than being alive here? Like as if this is the dream and that was real life? Going to the void, I knew I was, um, I knew I was dead. You know, when I reached out and couldn't find my other arm, that was, that was where I knew this, everything else was just all imagination. You know, I was trying to find something and no wonder nothing got into my eyes, ears, nose, mouth, or anything like that. All my orifices, I didn't have any orifices. All it was was a speck of light. And I don't know what the dirt was. I explained to some people the dirt was like a vermiculite potting soil. Really light, fluffy, uh, stuff that's got the mica in it. Because that's how light it, light and fluffy it felt. And how easy it would move around. But it wasn't like anything was getting to your face or anything like that. It was, it was, it was a different... You knew, you knew the dead body was in in the shop, but it didn't make any difference. You knew you knew you were dead, and I knew I was in the void, and I knew it was some sort of a staging area. The dirt, uh, the dirt told me, you know, I knew the dirt was from heaven. You know, it told me that everything was okay and that I was going to be, you know, uh, looked after, and you know, someone would eventually come and get me. Um. The dirt just like it didn't speak out loud, but there wasn't all all understanding, love. I mean, you just understood everything. You understood how everything worked. You know, it was it was, it was amazing, and it was just so happened chance. It was just like, huh? I'll be darned. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions or chit chat with you. Are you open okay. to that? And if so, how should they reach you? I guess I could give them an email. Whatever you'd like. Either that or uh, they can find you maybe on Facebook or something. Yeah, I'm I'm on Facebook. I'm on uh, there's two NDE groups I'm in and um I'm in Sharon Milliman's group. I'm in um Lightworkers group, um Brigitte Visor. Do you know her? Mm mm. Uh, she's in, um, I'll, I'll send it to you. I can't, I can't think of it. I'll send it to you on messenger. Um, but she's got her own, she's got her own place and she's been, uh, she sends out like a daily channel or sometimes two, um, from either the, the divine, uh, she channels St. Germain, uh, exclusively. She does Sanat, um, some of the others um she's um saint germain i like i i really like him and of course i can understand being from you know knowing him from the 1700 but uh and the fact when the psychic said that you know we were friends we had all you know i went to his lectures and we we had the same friends we were we were buds you know and i'm going like wow this is too much um that uh his such his his life has been so amazing um you know he was he's been in on you know this the signing of the declaration of independence and everything else and as far as it goes on back down to merlin you know i mean this guy has been around and he's got a sense of humor um he's fun um 
he's fast and very snappy too but he's um yeah he's he's an all he's an all loving person I, I i like him i've read two of his books um Brigitte turned me on to the first one and the second one I just got because I had to have to, to continue on the story and there's like six or seven, eight more to go but um, on my meager little uh, income I have to wait till that you know, goes or until I find a windfall or something, you know. Alright, well before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? I think the message I can leave is there is life after death I don't know how else to explain it but there is life after death I didn't get to go to heaven I didn't get to see all the animals and stuff that everybody else uh, claimed they saw I didn't even go up a tube you know I went to the, the dark black void for everything that's happened to me ever since I've been through that void, I know one thing for sure. There's life after death. Have a nice day. Thank you, Phil, for that message. And thank you again for being my guest. I appreciate you, and I wish you a great rest of your day. Cool. And, and I, uh, I like the new haircut, too. Thanks. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara Podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.